in the cul de sac, contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Still the clean record, hope got another circus. Hey, Cantiners, welcome back to another episode. This is number 59. 59. Uh, we were planning on having like a, a drunk history type of episode <laughs> this week, but way too much is going on in the news. And so we, we figured we'd be straight with you and uh, not, uh, you know, get all boozed up and talk about movies and sports and actors and just pop culture stuff. Well, maybe we'll do that next time. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send it around for some shout outs, maybe uh, start out the podcast. But you know, we, we, we're still uh, working on the website. Uh, we're maybe looking at a, a July 4th going live on that. We'll, we'll keep you posted. And, you know, we really appreciate everyone listening. And remember, you know, if you listen to us enough, you know that we are a mixed-race podcast. We're, we're a mixed-race podcast. Uh, we're miscegenated, if you will. And the data shows that a mixed-race podcast could be just as capable of success as an all-white <laughs> podcast but we don't have lawyers and we don't have accountants. It's just like Joe Biden said. Well, now, is that the entire podcast, though, or just one of us doesn't have lawyers or an accountant? Like, you two have, right? Well, we're mixed race. It's like we're a mixed hey, race child, you know? Don't so it doesn't matter. We're culture, one. All right, first we're of all. We're one. So maybe you can just say, you know, I don't have a lawyer or an it's accountant. Too late. I don't know. You guys probably have them. It's too late. No, well, you go I ahead. Go quick ahead, shout Roger. out to, to Ted. Uh, him and his wife. I think his wife still listens. Maybe, maybe not, or whatever. But uh, you know, we do have some loyal listeners out there, and I definitely appreciate. You know, I think uh, little AJ Todd wrote once that uh, you know, the most valuable thing you can give is your time. So definitely appreciate the time on that. And and Joe, I got your uh, I got your coffee mug there, leftist tears. So I use that to fuel my patriotism on a daily basis, and has become my go to. So definitely, uh, I mean, people are actually sending us swag. Can you believe that? Like, I would never send us anything. I mean, I'd probably send us some hate mail or hate emails or something like that, but uh, people are actually sending us some stuff, so that's, that's pretty awesome. So thanks again, Joe. <laughs> you notice when you started talking about swag and people us sending us swag, Josh got up and like tried to walk away. Real- <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so um, I, got, uh, I got some swag in the mail, so big I, shout yeah, out I didn't to... Get that swag. Uh, a big shout out to uh, to Admiral Dave uh, from previous episode. Um, mm. Just a couple of shout outs for me, and then uh, I'm gonna give it back to uh, give it back to Luke, and he can take us wherever he wants. Hey, real quick, uh, so big shout out to uh, to James down in Tampa. Hey, big game. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you listening, man. Uh, Justin T up in uh, up in Northern Virginia. Appreciate you listening, and Brandon out in Kansas. Uh, definitely appreciate you listening as you're running the uh, running the combine. Um, make sure you guys share it. Share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. Get the group. Get the band together. Get the uh, get everybody listening, whether they whether they like us or not. And I've got one special shout out um, to uh, to Tyler up in Northern Virginia. Um, Tyler, man, again, I, uh, I hit your back. Um, really appreciate the, the, you know, the listen, definitely appreciate the, uh, the loyalty and, and, and the willingness for you to put skin in the game. Uh, can't, uh, we, you know, we can't thank you enough. Um, after talking to Roger and Luke, you know, I, I, man, we, 
we can't take your money, man. We we sincerely, sincerely appreciate that, um, but we we can't do it. I tell you, if you know you want to contribute, the best thing that you can do is help us spread the word. You know, get your network engaged and uh, and, and get the word out there. Uh, that that is the absolute best thing you can do. Uh, but again, man, we were humbled by your offer. Uh, and it, you know, it lets us know that what we're doing is all for naught. And you know, even if there's only eleven of you out there listening, at least uh, at least those eleven are, are loyal, and and at least folks are coming back. And you know, and, and, and there's you know, there's there's some value added from us and from our ramblings. Dovetail on what Josh was saying, Tyler, we really appreciate it. And part of the reason we say, you know, we're we're we can't take money is because we don't have a mechanism to to even do that right now. And and if we we're trying to build something to where we do have a mechanism uh, to put it to good use, you know, uh, so we know where to put it and how to uh, uh, go into advertising, you know, marketing, uh, swag. Uh, we're, we're putting that framework together, you know, and and uh, the three of us have full-time jobs, and, but we're still trying to do it. And we're going to get it out there because I think we believe in what we're doing. I give a quick shout out to a couple new listeners and uh, names are escaping me right now, but one of them is uh, Brennan there in Texas. Uh, he, he started listening. He went back a few episodes to listen, so appreciate you uh, giving us a chance. And uh, one more, I told you uh, last episode, uh, Russell, a new author on Amazon com, Amazon.com, Russell Camp, wrote a book called Suitcase Sleds, Basketball, and the Bros. It's live on Amazon. Check out Russell Camp. I'm telling you, you'll love the book. I, I couldn't stop laughing at it. So with that out of the way... Uh, I've got so many tabs pulled up right now. <laughs> I mean, I probably got 20 tabs, so I don't even know which way to go. Let's talk I, about your move. I don't let's, know. Let's talk about your move. I guess let's, let's start. Let not. Uh, okay. Okay. Let's talk about that first. We'll leave the elephant in the room for later. Uh, so stay tuned for some serious Fauci hate. So anyway, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, I'm moving, and I'll be moving next month. I'll be starting a, a new job uh, the month after that in August in, in Texas, uh, back home. Uh, really looking forward to that and hoping that uh, that'll be more convenient for the Culper's Canteen Cup because uh, right now it's harder to get our schedules all in sync. But yeah, you know, the wife is back uh, doing a house hunt. I'm here packing up the house, uh, and man, oh, man, moving I'm just done with it. It's one of the reasons we're moving back. I'm just so tired of moving. It's 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 really stressful. They they rank. I think they rank. You know, some of the most stressful events in a person's life. And top is like a death in the family. You know, death of a spouse, death in the immediate family. And like I think like moving residences is like number three or something. And I've done it so many times. I've dropped myself to early grade. But let's get to to the meat of this. Something really strange is going on in the housing market. The house, the city I'm moving to is a city of about two hundred thousand people. It's not a big city, and these houses. And Roger and I uh, exchanged a bunch of texts the other night, and I'll kick it to him, and he can kind of explain it. But. Man, we can houses are not staying on the market. The only houses not like there are no houses staying on the market. Even the crappy little shacks are just flying off the market for above asking. And a lot of these offers are coming in cash. I mean, we are caught up in this game. We already have a house in this town. Um, and worst case scenario, we'll have to move into that house and uh you know, but we'd, we'd rather, it's a small house, you know, for college kids. It's not uh, meant for, you know, adults with a lot of stuff. 
But man, I'm telling you, it's just been crazy. And, and you know, one of Roger's theories, which I'm sure there's some validity to it, is you know people are moving. You know, people are moving from California, New York, and they're moving to Texas. I don't. I think that that would explain like Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, um, Lubbock. I just don't know. I mean, anybody from California who's going to pick up and move to Lubbock, the only reason they would do that is if they had never been there before and never seen pictures of it. Because, yeah, I, I didn't mention the town. It's Lubbock, Texas. And I, I, I'm telling you, it's just who wants to move there? But anyway, I talked to a guy today who's moving to San Antonio. Uh, I'm, tar- I'm sorry. He's moving to San Diego. Uh, he's, he's being reassigned. He's going to be there uh, flying helicopters and stuff. And he and his wife are in the same situation. They cannot find a house that will stay on the market. And that's in San Diego. That's in California. He said his brother lives in Ohio. It's the same thing. He has a friend that lives in Iowa. Same thing. People cannot find houses. Uh, one more quick anecdote, and I'll kick it to Roger, is uh, a colleague of mine at work, uh, he and his wife have had a house for a long time uh, in the Fort Campbell area, and they recently unloaded their house. And the top three, the top three uh bidders on the house was number one was a a person of Chinese ethnicity from California who didn't speak English that well. Uh, Number two was an investment house. And number three was also an investment house. The fourth offer, the fourth, you know, down the list was just a guy trying to buy a house for him and his family. And he came in like 10,000 below them. And when they looked at all these offers and who they were, they did the right thing. I mean, they did a very noble thing, and they gave it to a person who's actually going to looking for a house and wants to live in it. So my thing is, this is a nationwide thing, and I think we're going to kind of go into the economy right now. I think that you know we're talking to the realtors, and, and the realtors who have been doing it for a while are actually scared. They don't know what's going on. They're, they're happy, but they're nervous. They're making a lot of money, but they're like, we've never seen anything like this, and we can't really put our finger on it. So I'll kick it to Rogers for his, uh, his thoughts and, and theories and what it, what it all means, this, this red-hot, overheating housing market. Well, it, it's COVID. COVID's changed so much of this. I mean, I remember I went to a, uh, I went to a, a charity dinner with a friend of mine that we've known for 20-some-odd years, and she's a realtor out here in the Phoenix Valley. And the, at the time, realtor, the organization, was expecting an actual drop or a slowdown uh, for 2021, they're saying, hey, be, you know, be prepared. 2021 is going to slow down and you may actually see a drop come summertime or whatever. But what happened was COVID happened. And with COVID, everybody started working remote. Now, this is th- these are my own theories, right? And hypotheses or whatever. So this is <laughs> much like everything else on Culper's Canteen Cup. It's not based on anything that's <laughs> scientific or peer reviewed or anything like that, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's when I look at, and, and I know it, it varies depending on where you're at, but I know specifically with Arizona and, and Texas, I mean, you've got a lot of Californians that live in a shithole, uh, you know, for $2.5 million, And out here, you can buy half the city for that. Right. I mean, two point five million, you're getting a couple acres, a nice house, probably some horses and and, and whatever else. So, you know, I don't what, what worries me is I wonder how much foresight has gone into this. Like people are like, oh, all right, well, I'm working remote right now, so I'm moving. I'm going to move out and I'm going to buy a farm. And it's like, well, are you going to be able to continue to work remotely? I mean, and maybe some of them can. Right. Maybe their employers already said because of overhead and things like that, which is happening that, hey, we're not going back to an office building. We're not going back. uh you know, I think my buddy Steve, uh, who listens, he's 
you know, his employer's already said, hey, we're downsizing the building, uh, you know, maybe a couple offices here and there or whatever. So he'll probably have the chance to remote, you know, work remote forever. So something like that. Yeah, I totally get it. But it's um, it is scary because I think the the expectation was that the housing market was going to have uh, some sort of correction a year ago. It never happened. And since then, you know, like out here we're at and, and you know, you say Lubbock, dude, I live in Queen Creek. You know, when I moved here, we had a Walmart and a Target. That was it. Uh, Josh, and you've been out here to visit. I mean, you wouldn't even believe it now from, uh, I think we had the gym when you were out here. Uh, we drove by it and I think I went in to go use the bathroom or whatever, but the, you know, they had the gym. Uh, but now, I mean, the town is blown up and it's all these people that are coming in. It's a lot different than what happened when the, you know, mid two thousands, uh, with the housing crisis, uh, back in like Oh eight, um, or I guess the end of 2000s, where you had a lot of, you know, we talked about it before, the, the Glass-Steagall Act and securitizations and subprimes. And, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see as many commercials uh, for subprime mortgages anymore, right? So, and right. that was the big problem there, was you had people that really didn't qualify for homes uh, that were getting, you know, they were buying houses. They were, they were being, you know, they were financing houses and they weren't able to make the payments on it, right? So those, those blocks of, of securitizations where you might say 5% are going to be bad. Well, now it was 30%, 35%, 40% were bad. And thanks to Bill Clinton uh, with the Glass-Steagall Act, uh, when they changed that or amended it, they basically allowed banks to take your money and invest that uh, into other opportunities they, they you know, deem were going to be profitable or whatever. And then when they do that and it falls through, well, guess what? You know, guess who's left holding the bag? With this here... I don't see a push in the subprime market, uh, but what I do see is a lot of folks that continue to take out equity of their homes. Now, I'm not telling, hey, I am not Dave Ramsey, all right? There are, there are probably 95% of the population out there that uh, is either on par with me or better than, you know, as far as the finances and stuff like that. So I'm not telling people how to spend their money. But what I do see around me, uh, and again, it's, it's anecdotal, is like there are a lot of folks that are taking out, you know, taking equity out of their homes, uh, which is not a big deal if you're going to stay there forever, um, but if you're not, and you end up having to leave in four or five years, you're transferred, your job moves, you got to do whatever. That's where the real big issue comes in. Because, you know, one of the things back in 2008, the big push was for short selling and short selling is basically where you just don't pay the mortgage, right? Because in, generally speaking, investors own your home. It's not like just one person, investors own it. And so by not paying the mortgage, what you're doing is you're forcing the group of investors who own your home uh, to sell it at a price that's less than what it's it's worth or what it's valued at. A couple ways to play it that, you know, this could play out is one, it's going to go back to that, right? Just this huge short selling market. Uh, but I can see some people playing this thing right. You know, let, let, let's take an example. If you had a house that uh, you, know, you purchased for 400K and right now it's worth 800K and, you know, you can obviously cash out a lot of the equity and this and that. Uh, you get transferred, market takes a dump, you just stop paying, they short sell the house. And I know there are some back end implications, right? Sometimes you have to pay the difference and this and that or whatever. But I mean, essentially you could walk away with 400 K cash and probably live in the house rent free for six months before they even sell it and put you out. Uh, so I, I do think that, you know, I, that process is a lot slower than I think the subprime thing because subprimes and, and failure to pay those, uh, that happens a lot quicker. 
that happens a lot faster. I mean, we saw it happen. It happens within, you know, several years. With this game here, what worries me is that it doesn't happen very fast. So you just get this big, massive buildup. And, you know, I don't know if it's 2022. I don't know if it's 2023. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, Josh all doom and gloom, just, hey, it's all going to take a shit one day. Well, yeah, eventually it all does, right? But um, I think in the next, you know, maybe two to three years, man, I think you do see a, a huge crash. And it may actually be worse uh, than just the subprime stuff um, because you've got a lot of, you know, middle America, uh, you know, your, your mid-50s that uh, are the ones that are going to be letting houses go because, you know, they can't afford the payments or they they took all the equity out, they've got to move or, or what have you. So I don't know, Josh, I mean, you're kind of, you're I guess all three of us pretty much live in fairly rural areas. I mean, I'm, I'm probably, well, Phoenix, I guess, fifth biggest city in the U.S., but my, my town. But you're probably uh, the most rural of us all. I mean, what's happened out in your neck of the woods? It's the same thing. Uh, houses right around us, houses probably average less than 48 hours on the market. Uh, some are going 50K above asking. Uh, you know, so if you go back, I think uh, Redfin reported last month, so for the month of, of May, the average house went for 42% above it's uh, it's it's listing price. It sold for forty two percent of houses sold above their listing price. That's absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely insane. You know, and those are good points on. You know, a lot of folks have said, well, and companies are a lot of companies are you know looking at that overhead thing and saying, you know, we can have folks work remote. We don't need to have a brick and mortar site and all this overhead that comes with it. That you know, folks can work from home and people are kind of moving. But that doesn't, man. That doesn't count for you know, all that we're seeing. Um, I think you're, you know, there, we had low mortgage rates. I think, you know, the interest rates were, were fairly low for a while. Uh, I think people are flush with unemployment and, and STEMI checks, uh, from last year. And so I think that's, you know, people who might not have been in a position to buy, maybe they're more of a position to buy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but the cost of materials, you know, you're talking about a three-quarter inch sheet of plywood used to sell for twenty dollars. It's seventy-five dollars here where I live. You're wrong. For a, you're wrong. The Fed chairman said that you're not seeing any of that. <laughs> I, no, that's I, what he I, said. I, yeah. Oh I, oh, I know. I know what he said. But I know what I saw at, uh, at you know the major hardware store uh, chain that's in our area uh, the other day at Lowe's. It was $75 for a three-quarter inch sheet of plywood. You know, so if, if you're, you know, if your wives are like, take me somewhere expensive, just take them to the lumber department. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's expensive, man. It's, it's crazy. But I think you're seeing uh, it, the cost of materials. It's not sustainable. We are seeing interest rates come, you know, I think interest rates are creeping back up a little bit. Uh, yeah, the good thing is that we, you know, we're not seeing the subprime uh, stuff that we saw back in, you know, 2006, 2008. So that'd be good. But I'm telling you, like the market's going to cool off. It has to cool. This is absolutely simply not sustainable. Um, and I don't, I think, I think once you see the, the real estate market start to cool off, um, I think the rest of the, uh, you know, the rest of the economy is going to, going to go as well. So what's the, what was the Dow at today? I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to look. Uh, I think I, I don't know what the Dow was. The S and P was like one percent below its record high. Yeah, yeah. Dow went up like yeah. one hundred and thirty points yeah. last time I that, looked. That and I'm telling you, man. There's 
the economy is going, and you know, yes, doom and gloom. Uh, but the dude, the economy is not going to continue upward. Uh, there is too much cash, you know, in the in the system right now. You go back and look at the consumer price index; it's going up. Inflation is rising. <clears throat> People are going to stop buying homes very soon. Uh, it, you, we've already seen the month of June; it's already started to decline a little bit. It's still the housing market is not as hot as it was. Good. <laughs> the housing market is not <laughs> as hot as it was, uh, you know, over the last probably you know few few months. It's already started to uh, to to tick down. So, I don't I don't think it's sustainable, man. Uh, the best thing that folks can do: stop taking home equity loans out. Don't buy a house you can't afford, and try and be liquid when uh, when it does happen, so you can buy up. There's a big big to do going on right now in Raleigh. A developer is just sold. It was for low income families. Just put the uh, you know put the apartments or whatever they were on on the market, and the building sold. So the new company who bought it told everybody, "You got thirty days to go find a new place to live because." Uh, we're doing something different with these, and so now you have a bunch of low-income families out there who can't afford any anything remotely close to the city, and uh, yeah. So now you know now there's a big protest, and they're threatening to burn it down, and you know everything. So it'd be yeah, it's good times. So there, there's a, uh, and I can't I can't remember the name of it. I asked Roger; he he gave me something else, but I can't remember the name of it. There's an index that. Uh, I think the Fed uses to track how much money is being printed and how much money is in circulation, how much how much money is in circulation. And, you know, there's if, if you track this, you see that, you know, 80 percent of the money that's in circulation currently has been printed or has been. OK, 80 percent of the money that has ever been in circulation in the history of the United States and the history of the dollar has been printed since 2012, 80 percent. And if you track this, it just it, it goes up after the the uh, market crash in two thousand eight and all the stimulus. It just it just skyrockets up, and it's it just keeps going up. And then recently, it goes straight up, like over the past year since since COVID. Well, the news with this one is, and we I wish I would have pulled up an article on this. Didn't know we were going here, but they took that down. That's no longer a metric that's being shared with the public. And it's like, whoa. And there's a lot of explanations for that. People are like, oh, well, they're just tracking it differently now. It's like, well, I don't know. I, I, I you know, we'll never give financial advice on this show. It's actually, we could get sued for trying to give financial advice. But uh, I, I'm with Josh, and I'm hoping that Roger can, after I, you know, go down this list, maybe Roger can be the voice of, you know, hope in all this stuff. But, you know, we, we knew that COVID was going to impact the economy. Uh, we made certain predictions uh, back then that said it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. And to be honest, it, it is bad. I think it really is. I'm going to go down a list here. Uh, but it's not bad in the ways that I necessarily thought it was going to be. It's the same as like, you know, the the market crash, you know, the 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 foreclosures and the uh, subprime mortgage uh, default crisis that happened back in 2007, 2008. Nobody knew what was going on, except a few select people. I think when the market crashes or when the economy takes a serious downturn, I tend to agree with Roger, I think it's going to be 2022. 
we won't know exactly exactly what caused it. You could trace the causality back to the shutdown with COVID, the global shutdown. But what is the, you know, the gasoline that's on the fire will be something that we have no idea because we're not economists. But I do know globally, food prices are up. I mean, even the UN saying it, food prices are up globally, which is causing food shortages. Uh, one of the reasons that may be happening is China right now is ordering record amounts of grains, is importing record amounts of grains from around the world. And nobody knows exactly why they're doing that. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, inflation is something that I don't think any of the three of us are going to argue that is actually happening. It's going up. There are a lot of causes for that. You know, I mean, the economy is opening up. People want stuff now. And, you know, the economy has it just isn't quite rolling yet. So those supply chains that we talked about last episode or the episode of, you know, before that uh, haven't really caught up. So, you know, hence the lumber shortage, possibly, you know, uh, the Chamber of Commerce is concerned about labor shortages. And I found it kind of interesting because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce came out and said, well, the reason there's labor shortages is due to skill shortages. Uh, people aren't skilled enough to fill the, the jobs. And I just don't know if I buy that, man. I, I don't know if I buy it. I don't know what Roger's going to say. People don't want to go back to work. And I think that is a big part of it. Uh, we kind of dissected that, I think, a couple episodes ago or so, where it's like, hey, people are getting paid $16 an hour to stay home. Why do I want to go out and pick lettuce in a field for $17 an hour? No, no, I'll just stay home. It's not worth the 40 extra dollars a week. Uh, you know, but when I read that uh, about the Chamber of Commerce uh, saying it's a skill shortage, I was thinking, are they trying to make an argument for immigration on this? Um, you know, low-skilled workers. I That's kind of where my mind goes, but... Roger, what do you think? I mean, first of all, you know, kind of kind of kicked a lot over to you. First of all, with that Chamber of Commerce skill shortage, uh, you know, labor shortage, uh, to get your thoughts on that. And then, you know, you, you kind of hit on it 2022, but is there a way to kind of come out of this? I mean, are we, will this just be a slow recovery, like a V-shaped recovery that everybody's talking about? No, it's, uh, well, one, the, the Chamber of Commerce thing, who, by the way, ch the Chamber of Commerce generally leans to the right politically, just so everybody knows, but it's not a skills thing. I mean, I tell you, I went out to eat last night at, at Red Lobster, and they basically had the store manager that was sitting back there. Hey, I'm a blue collar guy, right? I like Red Lobster, so I know it's not. Nice. Hey, I thought they called it Langos. I thought they <laughs> called it Langosta Roja down there in Arizona. <laughs> my, my Espanol isn't up to par, but, uh, so the, the, uh, I think she was like the store manager or whatever. One of the managers was literally in the back cooking because they can't find enough people to cook, prep, you know, wash dishes. Hey, those are not high skilled jobs. I'm just telling you that, you know, they're not high skilled jobs when they're have to, having to offer, you know, $300 bonuses as an incentive to come in just to interview for the job. Okay. That, that, that goes to a bigger problem. And that goes to the broader, you, know, you talk about the recovery, dude, this recovery and it's not just the stock market, okay? Because the stock market is only one snippet uh, of the economy, of the broader economy. But I think the ramifications that's going on that, that we're going to see uh, from the last year and a half, you know, whatever of COVID, uh, it's going to be felt for a half a decade. Because here's the other thing. You also, when you have a workforce, a smaller workforce, you also don't have taxes being paid, 
right? Uh, I did see that. I think one of the the first moves that I actually agreed with the other day was I think the Fed is actually starting to sell some of the uh, corporate bonds and assets that they bought, right? And, and we did talk about this before. That's the big difference when you talk about the Trump economy and the Barrio economy, right? On the surface, things look the same. Oh, yeah, man, market's up, you know, unemployment's down and this and that. It's how did you get there? And if you get there through quantitative easing, that's not exactly what you want. If you get there through small businesses growing and becoming midsize or large businesses, that's what you want. And at the end of the day, what makes the economy go round, it's taxpayers. It's taxpayers that, that are going to work, spend their money, the government gets their taxes, and that what, that's what funds everything. Uh, for the government to give your money away to other people to turn around and go spend uh, to collect tax on that again, it's a self-licking ice cream cone that doesn't fix anything. And all it does is kick the can down the road. I mean, we, you know, we talked about it before. I mean, we're, we're coming close to, what, $30 trillion uh, on the national. I, like, I can't even fathom that. Like, $30 trillion is crazy. And I'll tell you this. You know, you talk about taxes. Hey, get ready. Because, you know, doubling the corporate tax rate, uh, capital gains tax. And, and, and what did he throw out the other day? Uh, President Biden said, that, oh, by the way, we're going to make this retroactive. How in the hell does that work? Right? Uh, what that means is that we're going to go ahead and pass this now. And yeah, if you had some capital gains like two years ago, we'll, we'll say it's retroactive 24 months. Yeah. So you need to go ahead and, uh, and pay us some more money because you owe us more. Your 2018 taxes that you thought were closed out and done, yeah, you owe us another 12%. And oh, by the way, for all you, you Trump haters out there, and I'm not jumping on the Trump bandwagon, say so you should vote for him and this and that, whatever. You know, that's obviously all said and done. Uh, but I think his tax, um, his tax relief expires next year. So what will be inter- which they're going to let it go, right? Uh, what will be interesting is all of those 80 million plus voters that said. You know, Americans didn't benefit from that tax relief. Americans didn't benefit from that tax cut. There was no benefit to middle America. There was no benefit to the lower wage uh, earners uh, from, you know, Trump's tax cuts. Uh, Let's come back and revisit this in 2022. Because, uh, you know, so far, and I guess we can, you know, Josh, you can touch on the the tax thing and then we can kick it over to, to Fauci, the big elephant in the room, right? So far, like everything, Everything they sat there and pooped on the last administration about, oh, you're crazy, man. Far right-wing extremists, it's conspiracy theory. Dude, like, everything's come true. Like, everything. He has been wrong. This administration has been wrong on everything. And I think you'll see it here, you know, and, and that's going to be the play on words. It's like, well, I didn't raise taxes. Well, one, you, actually, you, you did raise taxes with the corporate tax rate, capital gains tax. I don't know doubling it. I don't know how you cannot say you didn't raise taxes, but that, that's part of it, right? That, that goes back to your chamber of conversing skill thing. If you just continue to say it, it doesn't matter if it's true or, or false. You just continue to say it. And eventually that just becomes the truth. You know, so it's, uh, you, it, it takes you back to the whole Fauci thing with the, uh, I don't want to go too far down that road yet, but you know, look at all the stuff that Culper's that we, you know, that we recorded on over the last year, everything from the mass to, you know, the engineered uh, virus and this and that. I mean, Hey, you're, you're far right ring, uh, right ring uh, conspiracy theorists. Uh, you know what? There's some emails out there back and forth that say a little bit different. So I don't know. I'll throw it to Josh. I know he gets fired up about the tax piece there. He can, he can start off with that. And I guess we'll end up with uh, Fauci. All right. So the first thing I'll say about the uh, the retroactive corporate tax is taxation is theft. 
so when you go back, <laughs> taxation is theft, period. Uh, so this retroactive corporate tax, dude, they are, they are proposing to raise this to 39.6% would be the corporate tax rate. 39.6%. Holy shit. Which, right? let me interrupt real quick. Which, by the way, when Janet Yellen came out and said, oh, we need a global minimal uh, corporate tax rate, that's why, yeah. because we would not be competitive anymore. Yeah, no, 100%. Once you do that, hey, all those jobs that came back, you know, between 2016 and 2020, those jobs, they are packing up and they are leaving. And they will not come back. Uh, top earners, you know how much top earners uh, will wind up paying on this corporate tax rate? 43.4% plus that 3.8 Obamacare surcharge. That's what people are going to wind up paying if Joe Biden and the Democrats get their way. <sighs> we threw tea in Boston Harbor. For less. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that is like we literally fucking Over stole British ships. <laughs> yes. Tax stamp. Dude, yes. And here we are and people are people. Dude, I've talked to a few people about it. I asked a few, you know, a couple at work and, you know, it's like, hey, what do you think about that? And people are like, well, what do I think about what? The, the proposed corporate tax rate going up. And, you know, the capital gains tax. And they're like, huh? It's like, what? It's like, are you crazy? Are you not paying attention? Because I'm telling you, man, people are flush with cash. People are flush with unemployment. People are flush with stimmy chat. People are flush with cash right now. And it's not a big deal. It's going to be a big deal when you're standing in that soup kitchen line. You know, maybe maybe you'll pay attention then, but so that's what uh, that's what it is retroactive, like you said. So I guess when I paid the taxes, you know, when I sold uh, when I sold my house in Maryland, I guess I got might have to wind up and pay some more, you know, capital gains on on, on that um, since we you know since we made some some money off of it. I guess I didn't pay enough tax to begin with. We'll just pay some more. Uh, but you, you somebody asked Joe Biden, and he didn't think he didn't answer the question as usual. They you know they. They hurried him off the stage, but it was like, what? Because, you know, of course, when he proposed this, the squad came out and said, that's not enough. And so somebody asked her, like, okay, what, what is enough? What rate would you be happy with? And, he, you know, they, dude, his handlers <laughs> grabbed him before he could say something stupid and, <laughs> and you know, and, and shuttled him away. But it's not, and that's the question, right, is what what's the rate? What's the magic number? What? Are progressives going to be happy with when it comes to taxes? What tax rate is okay? This is the fair amount. This is the right amount. What is it? Nobody can answer that question, and nobody wants to answer that question because it's never it's never ending. And you know, it's hard to say that it's unconstitutional because you know Congress does have the constitutional authority to levy taxes, but it's at a certain point somebody's got to take the pocketbook away from these idiots. Because they're just they, the way they spend money. It's a teenager with a with an Amex card, and, and that dude. It's in my opinion, it's totally correct. Oh, hundred percent. And the more I, I research, the more I research into this, and like really look into what all these things mean and apply a little critical thought to it. I'm like, 
This is absolutely to keep the rich rich, the super rich rich. Because you, t- and it's like, well, wait, you know, I can, I can see the audience out there. Well, wait, wait, Luke, what are you talking about? The billionaire, you know, if all of a sudden he's taxed, you know, 75%, uh, you know, well, he's losing a lot of money. A billion dollars, these ultra wealthy people uh, know how to make money without working, basically. Uh, if you have a billion dollars and you're taxed 75% of it, that leaves you with, million. And you can very easily, Roger will tell you, he's the financial whiz here. (laughs) He's the one with $250 million. No, but Roger will tell you, anybody will tell you who who is familiar with how the markets work and how investing works. If you're starting off with $250 million, you can turn that into a lot of money in a very short amount of time. Okay, so so what? It's like a 75%. Yeah, it's a lot. And not everybody wants that. But it's a 75% cost of doing business. Now let's take that billion dollars down to $100,000 or 200,000 or 250,000, whatever the the current administration decides are the rich. Okay, you take 75% of $400,000. You're not left with with enough to make serious money like the ultra wealthy. That's just all there is to it, man. It keeps the people who are borderline rich, it keeps them where they should be, according to the powers that be. That's why I get so worried. Not only that, it not only is taxation theft, which which Josh is absolutely right. And I, I'm not a huge fan of some of some of Trump's uh, uh, tax tax stuff. I mean, I, I think some of it was kind of dumb, and we can get into that later. But uh, overall, I thought it was better than, than what we had before and definitely what is being proposed now. Look, taxation is theft. Okay, yes. But it's just bad for business. Like you guys were saying, man, we're not going to be competitive. And what, what right-thinking, correctly-thinking country is going to be like, oh, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll adopt this, you know, minimum tax. We have 0% and our country's actually doing real, or, you know, we have 4% and our country's doing really well. We're kind of climbing out of the gutter. You know, some African country, you know, is trying to, Rwanda, for instance. Let's take Rwanda. Man, this is going off the rails. I'm sorry. Josh got me worked up and he loves it. Rwanda, you know, everybody remembers the genocide during the Clinton years. And it's like, I, I looked into Rwanda a couple of years ago. I saw an article. I was like, what? So the capital of Rwanda is now considered one of the cleanest capitals in the world. It's gorgeous. High rises going up because they decided we're going to be business friendly. We're going to cut corporate tax down super low. Corporate tax rate is really low. So investors are like, yep, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's let's have our let's have a factory there because man, I mean, it's either a four percent rate or a nineteen point six percent rate or a forty three percent rate. Let's go to the, let's take our business to Rwanda, and Rwanda is doing really well, and they're building themselves up. And now Janet Yellen's trying to convince Rwanda, oh, you got to have a, a, a global you know minimum corporate tax rate. Well, that's not good for Rwanda. That's not good for any country who's trying to pull itself up by its bootstraps, which isn't possible according to AOC. But man, yeah, Josh got me worked up, kind of went off the rails there. So let me let me let me kick it back to you, Josh. Sorry, I got worked up there. I'm actually kind of sweating <laughs> a little bit right now. I can see you. I can see you glowing. Yeah. 
No, no, I was pretty much, uh, I was pretty much, anyway, yeah, at, at the end of the day, we threw tea in the harbor for less than this. Uh, at some point, somebody's got to take the credit card away from the, away from the teenagers. We don't have a, we don't have a tax revenue problem. We have a spending problem. And until you fix that, you could have a hundred percent tax rate and you're never going to have enough. I remember this dude, Jeremy, back when Obama got elected. This guy, Jeremy, I, I God, tried with this guy for so long. He's so far left. He's just, and I tried with him. I think, I think actually I started talking to him again. I mentioned him on the show and said, we might get him on. And then he said something stupid. I was like, okay, I'm done with you, dude. Forever, forever. I'm cutting you off, dude. I'm just done. But I remember when Obama got elected, Jeremy said the same thing that you just said, Josh, saying that Bush is spending too much. You know, we got to take, you know, we got to need some adults in to take away the credit card. You know, the kids can't run the, uh, the kids can't run the household income. It's got to be the adults that do it. It's just strange. It's just strange how, how, you know, the, the, the world turns, man. I, I, it's just whatever. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on, man. Well, it comes down to real quick. It comes down. It's not a left issue or a right issue because everybody knows the GOP has been spending money as well. It comes down to money in pockets. Who do you trust to manage the money, the people or the government? And, and what the left likes to do, and, and the right on occasion, they like to paint these, these broad swaths, bad corporate America, bad corporate America, bad big business, you know, bad corporations and evil corporations. Anyway, we've all heard that stuff out there, right? Uh, never mind the fact that most of us out there probably have an Amazon account you know, or a Netflix account or, or, you know, go to Walmart to shop or whatever. But it comes down to, you know, I always hate when they, you know, these economic experts, when they look back and they talk about, you know, trickle-down economics in the Reagan years and, you know, it wasn't working and it wasn't effective. And, uh, you know, you look at it at a macro level like that, the numbers may not shake out. But the bottom line is, if you put money, put more money into people's pockets and, and I shouldn't say put, you let them keep what they've earned, right? You let them keep more of what they've earned. Uh, you will have a better outcome because guess what they're going to do? They're going to spend it. They're going to spend it. I mean, believe me, when my kids, when my kids were younger and my boy was in Taekwondo and he's playing football and piano and daughters were playing soccer and this and that. And uh, there were times that we couldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't necessarily be there because my wife and I both commuted to work. So we had to get on like care.com and hire somebody to come, you know, take them to soccer practice or, or whatever it was. Well, hey, if you, we, we can only do that because we have disposable income. Uh, you take that away. Guess what the first thing that gets cut is? It's not Taekwondo. It's the soccer game because we're Korean. But uh, soccer gets cut. Well, I guess they play soccer over there too. So soccer, piano, and Taekwondo. So I don't, I don't know which one gets cut first. But maybe soccer. I don't like soccer. So we cut soccer first, right? And I tell you, that is a very, you know, that brings it down to a very individual micro, you know, view. But you can expand that all the way up to the corporate level. And I can tell you, like, with small businesses, if you take more of our money, right, that we've earned uh, through taxation or whatever, guess what? You are going to directly impact the benefits that we can offer employees. 
And, and a large part of it is most people don't know a lot of how businesses run and how they operate. And, you know, it's because they don't own a business or operate a business or whatever. So it's not a big deal whether you do or don't. But that's part of the problem is they don't realize that all of that money generally, no, don't get me wrong, billionaires keep money, right? I mean, they, they want the yachts and this and that and, and badass on them because I want to be one. I want to have a yacht. I mean, who doesn't want to have a yacht or a helicopter or whatever? But a lot of that money, especially when they're building these businesses, it goes back into the employees. Like those folks out there that have subsidized health care right? Where do you think, who do you think pays for that? They, the, the corporation pays for it. The company pays for it. Your dental care, your insurance, anything that's subsidized through the company that's paid because, you know, the company has enough money that they can pay for that and still generate a profit, right? And that guy, like Josh is typing out right now, this is my point with the trickle down thing. Hey, buy a yacht. How many people are going to be employed because that yacht's being built? How many people are going to be employed because, so that's my point is, it's not evil corporation, evil America, you know, evil capitalist thing. You want more people to keep more of the money that they have earned. And if you do that, they will spend it. And hey, even if they say, because I've even heard this argument with the Fed, oh, they won't spend it. They won't spend it. They'll just pocket it, right? They were saying, I think I saw a stat that was like 50% of people that weren't behind on their payments uh, just put the money in savings. That's great. That's great. You know why that's great? Because as that money continues to grow, the chances of that individual or that family going on welfare and having to take federal assistance later, I would probably say is significantly reduced. And nobody sees any of that. So at the end of the day, what the government has said, and I've made this argument all, you know, since probably episode one, when you look at the Constitution and the framers of the Constitution and how they looked at individual representation, states during that time were a better representation of the individual than what they are now. The states right now might as well be the federal government. Now, we have seen a shift in that, right? We've seen a change in that, and that's one of the, th- that's one of the benefits, I think, to COVID and all the lockdowns and the governor mandates and this and that, that local state legislatures have said, nah, not going to happen. People in my town that I vote for have said, nope, not going to happen. We're stripping you of those powers. So I do think you're starting to see a little change on that. But the states, you know, in today's day and age is not what it was back when the Constitution was written. It is not uh, as representative of the individual as what it was when it was back in the constitution, you know, when the constitution was written. So that's, you know, that's my take on the money thing. It just comes back to putting it in people's pockets. Let's, uh, let's move on to, to Fauci, right? Fauci, I guess I'll kick this to Luke. He can kick off uh, the Fauci thing. I know you're pretty pissed. So, so go ahead and give us a, a rundown of it. There's just a lot, a lot to cover on this one. So we may spend some time on it. Um, and this was the impetus for us not doing the, uh, not doing the boozy episode but, you know, back on May 12th, uh, a representative from Ohio, last name of Davidson, I, I'm not sure who he is exactly, but he he entered, he didn't introduce, but he proposed a bill. I don't think it made it to the resolution phase yet. And it was called the Fauci Incompetence Requires Early Dismissal Act. That's fired. The <laughs> Fired Act. Because, I mean, you know, May 12th, I think we recorded... Uh, somewhere around there, but you know, we just went off and we have been going off on this guy, man. It's like the Fauci foxtrot with him, man. It's crazy. I I started to compile a list of of things. He's gone back and forth. I got to like six things and I was like, okay, this is just, I'm I'm wasting my time. You know, he's, he's just so bad. The Fauci phenomenon in the United States. And it happened with members of my own family. 
who are just holding this person up as like this savior. And I remember thinking real early on, I didn't put it out on Facebook uh, back when I was using Facebook a lot more often. But there was something just about the way he looked and carried himself. And I was like, I just don't trust this guy. And that was just my initial, even back when I was like, well, it seems to be making sense. He's the guy. But, man, there's something about him. I don't know. He looks kind of weaselly. I didn't put that out because uh, around that time was when Facebook started and YouTube started doing some really strange things with uh, anything, mentioning Fauci or COVID or anything like that. I mean, it was... There were some kind of spooky things. Now, if, if you live in a hole, you, uh, you might not know that uh, BuzzFeed released about, I don't know, between 32 and 3,500 emails they obtained um, from the government uh, with a Freedom of Information Act uh, request. I think that, honestly, if you read the, the initial BuzzFeed article uh, where they, they linked to the database where you can read all the emails, I think BuzzFeed was trying to make it a puff piece about Fauci. So I would really like to see the initial FOIA request and the wording on this is what we're requesting because, I don't know, people probably aren't familiar with FOIA requests, but you you, kind of have to be specific. You can't just say, you can't go to the federal government and say, I want every email that ever went to Fauci or that ever came out. You have to be specific. It has to deal with these subjects. Uh, it has to fit these parameters, so it has to be specific. And BuzzFeed, I think, wanted to do a piece like, look how great Fauci was. He was so busy, and he replied to the little man sometimes. And they ended up linking to all the emails, and the rest of the mainstream, or not even mainstream, uh, the rest of the media started delving into these emails and finding some really interesting stuff that was going back and forth. I want to do a quick explanation before we... I'll go to Josh after this so he can be ready. Uh, I want to do a quick explanation on something, uh, a very lay explanation for the, for the layman out there. One of the things that's very important with this whole coronavirus, COVID-19 thing is something called gain-of-function research. Okay, basically, I'm going to break it down. I'm not a scientist, but I do know a little bit about gain-of-function research and how, how that works. Basically, what happens, this has been, this has been done for, for years. It's been done a lot for a number of different reasons. Generally, with one of these uh, influenzas, they uh, start with an animal, generally a bird or a, a small mammal, and it's, it's a, a virus within them that kills off a significant portion of the population. Well, eventually, that virus usually takes, from what my research, anywhere from 10 to 20 years. It uh, could, could be as short as five, but it'll make the jump between like a goose, the goose flu. It'll make a jump between animals and humans because the bird population, the virus kind of, for lack of a better term, knows it can't live forever within that population. It has to adapt to go to another host. It ends up going to mammals and humans. So what the CDC and these uh, institutes of virology try to do this is gain-of-function research, they will take that virus that is currently not made the jump from birds or bats or monkeys or whatever, they'll take that virus that hasn't made the jump, they'll isolate it in a level four lab, very secure, and they will start playing basically with that virus, injecting DNA, you know, putting different parts of different viruses in to replicate what it will look like when it makes the jump to humans. And the reason they do this, they say, 
And I, I believe it. The reason they do this is so that they, will, they can try to come up with an effective vaccine for those things when they make the jump. And I don't know that a, an effective vaccine has ever been made by doing that type of research. It certainly wasn't made with COVID. <laughs> you know, there was no vaccine ready when COVID was, came out. But, you know, I, I honestly believe, you know, the pharmaceutical uh, industry has a, has a vested interest in gain-of-function research because they can have a vaccine sitting on the shelf ready to sell at a premium when the epidemic or pandemic breaks out. So that's, in a nutshell, what gain-of-function research is. Uh, any scientists out there can kind of poke holes, but, you know, my terminology may be wrong, but that's kind of what gain-of-function is. So I'm going to go to Josh. There's a lot to cover with these emails, and we're talking about uh, titling this episode "The Fauci Foxtrot." I think that's a good. I think that's a good title. Um, so, Josh, you know, why don't you break it down a little bit? What stuck out to you? Was it the Zuckerberg email to uh, to Fauci and and the subsequent forwards he did with that? What was it? No, so I have not had a chance to read all of the emails. I've read a few. Uh, the one that, you know, the biggest one that stuck out for me, and you talked a little bit about it, was the gain of function. So Fauci, under oath, testified that the NIH was not 100% not involved in, in, in funding any level of gain of function research uh, by, by any lab. So the email... The, the exchange he had with Rand Paul and, uh, you know, the transcript, you know, here's where Fauci, here's where Fauci's doing the, doing the foxtrot and a, and a, and a little bit of tango is Fauci's like, well, the NIH doesn't directly fund gain of function research. The NIH provided a grant to a U.S. lab, a U.S. company who then in turn funded gain of function research there at the Wuhan lab. So Fauci, you know, is like, well, the NIH does it, does it fund it? Okay, well, he's he's splitting hairs because they do, and the, you know that stuck out. And then the fact that, and before before anybody really knew where COVID nineteen came from, you know, it, they knew okay, you know, China has a problem. It's starting to make its way into the United States. Has definitely made its way into Europe by now. Before anybody had a problem, in his uh, email from another scientist, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, emailed Fauci and said, hey, part of this, part of this looks like it has been altered, right? And it's not through evolution or anything like that. It was actually manipulated. That that virus was manipulated, a, a portion of it. Fauci immediately dismissed it, said, no, there's no way this is, a, it's impossible that this has happened. Okay, well, if there's anything in, you know, if there's anything in the field of science, science, it's not impossible. Why would you automatically, you don't know it, so why would you automatically dismiss it, dismiss, you know, one of those possibilities? Well, it could have come out of a lab. It could have, it could have came from a bat. It could have came from a kangaroo. It could have came from a polar, like, we don't know. Instead of saying, well, we don't know, Fauci immediately was like, nope, there's no, it's impossible, couldn't have come from the Wuhan lab. He receives the email from the Chinese scientist saying, thank you very much for publicly stating, you know, that we really appreciate that. And it, it, it real quick, it was, it was the, the email he received, the one you're talking about, 
was okay. It was. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it right back to you. But the email he received was from Ackenschultz or yeah, something I like that. Some today. weird German yeah. name. It, that was the shell. That guy was managing the shell organization that NIH was giving money to. That organization could give money to whoever they wanted. So they gave it to the Wuhan. They gave a portion of it to the Wuhan Institute for the gain of function research. So when Fauci, what he's going to say is, I didn't lie under oath. I didn't know where that money. The NIH didn't give it to yeah. them. Well, in reality, they they supplied the money that ended up going there. So it was the guy who knew where that money was going who said that. So I, I'm sorry no, no, to interrupt, but I'm just no, to no, no, that's a good clarification. Yeah, and you know the NIH may not given them directly. They didn't pull the trigger, but they gave him the gun. That's, you know, and, you know, it's like you said, in 2012, Fauci, you know, stated that gain of function research is worth the risk, even if it causes a global pandemic. Well, go ask, uh, go ask, you know, go ask everybody in, on Earth right now if it was worth it, Fauci. Um, so that email, you know, came back and that guy was like, thank you for stating that publicly, blah, blah. blah. And then, you know, of course, the mass thing, you, you know, we have gone round and round on the mass. The email where Fauci told, you know, told the guys like, hey, man, the mass you buy is, you know, basically, and I'm paraphrasing this at CVS or, you know, pick your store. That's not it's not going to stop. You know, it's not going to stop you from getting covid. And that's more for sick people to wear to keep from infecting others rather than you know, everybody just wearing it. Um, those are the ones that stood out. I haven't read, I've read a couple of the others, but I don't have them. Uh, I don't have them memorized. And, uh, I was, uh, I, I didn't have my notes. I wrote a bunch of stuff down, but I can't find them. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm having my, uh, having my elderly moment, but yeah, Fauci from the very beginning and we called it, you know, way back and it was like episode three, four, five, somewhere in there. We were like, there's something off. There's something wrong. Why would you dismiss, immediately dismiss the fact that, no, this could not have come from a, you know, a lab. Of course it could have. We don't know that yet. When something happens, that's why you do an investigation. That's why you lie for that. And I remember, you know, everybody was screaming, you know, the, you know, when Trump called it, especially when he called it the Kung flu, like everybody was like, oh, my God, it's racist. You can't say China virus. You can't say it came from Wuhan lab. And then it was like, you can't say it came from a bat because Chinese people eat bats and saying that Chinese people eat bats is racist. And it was just it was a complete shit show. Um, but, you know, it turns around. It's like, you know, it's like Roger said at the beginning. So much of what we talked about last year and what we were saying Guess what? Everybody, you know, called us crazy. People, you know, unfriended us and stuff. But guess what? We were right. We were right. We didn't believe what we were fed, which that's all we've asked of anybody. Don't believe it. Go go do your own level of due diligence on it. Wait for the facts to come out. We've said this about COVID. We've said this about, you know, police incidents. Like, just wait for the investigation to be done. Wait for the facts to come out because it's coming out that uh, maybe this shit did come from a Wuhan lab. Maybe, maybe it was accidentally released maybe it was intentional release don't know but it's looking more and more like this wasn't some dude you know in the wuhan market eating some eating some bat and sriracha so uh if you get over to uh kick it over to roger and see uh see what he's got to see what more he's got to say on the email i figure we'll go probably a couple rounds because there's a lot lot to talk about well, that's the, you hit the two big ones, right? It was the, the whole mass thing and the virus, you know, as far as being engineered. And 
here's what kills me with this stuff. So one, and you can take this back to the Trump administration. Why you let that dude on TV is beyond me. Why he's still on TV, it, it's mind-boggling, right? And now the left, and I'll tell you, it's the left and the media are doing everything they can to protect him because they have to, they have to justify everything that's happened over the last year, year and a half, right? So this is from NPR, dated June 3rd. Five things we learned from Anthony Fauci's emails. So, you know, Josh gave you a pretty good rundown. Hey, where did this thing come from? Was it engineered? Which they say, and even the former CDC director, Redfield, right? Did he say, he's like, yeah, I think this thing was engineered. Um, and then now you're seeing emails where it's like, hey, this thing was possibly engineered. Now, we're not saying it was or it is, but hey, you might actually want to look into this because it might have been. Um, and, and then the mass, when you look at the whole efficacy of mass and where we went from, you know, March of last year uh, to, to, to now, uh, you know, to not wearing masks, to wearing masks, to wearing double masks. So out of all that stuff going on, here is what NPR says, the five things we learned from Anthony Fauci's emails. Americans wrote to Fauci with very specific concerns or questions about what to do. Then it gives a little blah, blah, blah. He pushed back on the suggestion that the Trump White House was muzzling him. Blah, blah, blah. Fauci gets a ton of email and he replies to a surprising amount of it. He was comfortable with, or uncomfortable with his sudden celebrity, followed by, but he found some upsides uh, in fame too. So, of all the things in the emails, right? Like, we shut down the world economy uh, for months. Some of them still shut down, right? Uh, of all the things that, were, that, that have happened the last year, those are the five things NPR says that we learned from Anthony Fauci's emails. It, it, dude, it's ridiculous. And then when you even go on and look at, uh, you know, the Washington Post, which I think was the one who initially leaked the, or not leaked, I think they were the ones who additionally uh, did the request and, and sent it out. You know, they put, you know, their headline, the alleged uh, Fauci smoking gun emails, you know, alleged obviously being in, in quote. And, you know, it's the lab leak theory. They kind of blow it off a little bit. Uh, it is this point that conservatives hang their argument on, but there's, there's more to the story. Um, they go on to about the, uh, the doubting the efficacy of masks. Eh, you know what? You just need to wear a mask because it's just a small price to pay because it might work. We think sort of, kind of, maybe. So you should just go ahead and and just kind of wear it because you know, it, it doesn't bother you. And what I like even best was, uh, what was their last one here? Hydroxychloroquine, right? So basically what they said with hydroxychloroquine with Fauci is, well, he's a busy guy. So he just, he wasn't really lying. He just hadn't had a chance to really look into it. You know, if you don't see the left trying to justify and cover everything that they did over the past 18, because I tell you, Fauci's only one piece of the problem. And again, I blame the Trump administration as well. I think it was very poorly handled, uh, everything from letting Fauci on TV and Dr. Burks. Uh, you know, I think, you know, in my opinion, again, you know, armchair quarterback, but I think we've been pretty consistent with this. It's like, Hey, maybe you push, uh, like some education, right? Hey guys, gals, you really, really do need to wash your hands. Like no shit. You need to wash your hands. Um, you know, keep little Johnny there from licking, you know, windowsills and doorknobs. Uh, you know, yeah, you can maybe limit some of your contact with people you don't know. I'm not saying you got to do a six foot thing or, or this and that, but I think there's a, there's an education piece, you know, a health and welfare piece that we could have pushed out over the last year that in my opinion, and I'm throwing this out there. I mean, you would have probably eliminated a hundred thousand deaths, 150,000 deaths. 
I mean, it's huge, but we didn't we didn't push that. We just went to automatic lockdown mode because we let guys like Fauci and Burks uh, come on TV. And Fauci, dude, that guy is all over the place. I mean, he he literally should be a politician. As much as he flip flops, he literally should be a politician. Because I guess the, you know, it's the, it's one way to you know to play the game. If you cover everything from the far left to the far right, I mean, you're going to be right somewhere in there, right? So you just go from not wearing masks to wearing double masks to wearing triple masks to staying locked down to there's no reason to lock down to uh, we should, you know, we need to ban flights to that's xenophobic. We shouldn't ban flights to yeah, let's ban flights again. So I guess if you just if you're all over the spectrum, uh, you just you're going to be right there somewhere and say, well, hey, man, I was right. Science evolves. That's the way it works. Science changes. I don't know if you know that science changes, right? So it's it's crazy because you watch the left, and I haven't watched a whole lot of news lately because I tell you when I when I went on my, uh, be quite honest with you, ever since I went on my twentieth anniversary trip uh, down in Cabo and going like the seven days with no news or anything, it's pretty refreshing, pretty relaxing, and then coming back and it's just like man, these guys are on the same stuff. But anyway, just that's all I got to say about the Fauci stuff. I don't know if he, Luke, you want to keep beating this down or can we just move on to mm-hmm. Israel and Iran and Russia? Yeah. No, I want to. Well, hey, 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 I'll tell you what, I will segue into globalist stuff, but I got more to say about Fauci. <laughs> so so you you said something that, that we've hit on before. And I, I, I you're right. You're absolutely right. It's like, hey, how about, you know, a, uh, a campaign uh, for, you know, like general health awareness? And I'll say it again, man. I mean, even Fauci in the emails, in one particular email, he, you know, and I'll give him credit where credit's due, man. But I'm going to ding him on this, too. Credit where credit's due, I guess, is that some people were emailing him with, like, they found his email. And, like, you know, old lady was like, hey, should I be worried, Dr. Fauci? I really love you on TV. My niece is going to come see me. And he'd reply back to this person and say, you know, here's the deal. And in a couple of these personal type emails, which BuzzFeed and Washington, especially Washington Post, they were puffing that. They were puffing it. It's like, look how caring this guy is. It's like he said in a couple of those emails, smokers, right? Smokers are high risk. He's like, people over 65 are high risk. He even said, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, people with pre-existing conditions and obese are at high risk. So, so those categories, you know, you need to be careful. I, I still, with the health thing, it's like, can we not try to be more resilient as a nation? Like, if we're going to have this giant federal government, can we not have, like, some, like, dedicate, I don't know, $100 million to, like, the old public service announcements, you know, that we used to watch on Saturday morning cartoons and stuff, you know, do a little cartoon or something where it's like, hey, don't be fat, don't eat Twinkies, <laughs> you know, go outside and exercise, kids, don't be fat or you're going to die of COVID. You know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, not, but, but something. Hey, don't smoke. Don't be fat. Eat healthy. Be, as, be, you know, get your body, get your cardiovascular system in shape so that you can fight something like this when it hits you. You know, there won't be anything on that. Okay, so went off the rails. But see, see, this is where I'm going to ding Fauci, though. He's replying to little old Mildred in Kansas City. You know, answering her questions. This person, Anthony Fauci, the audience may not know this. He is the highest paid federal employee. 
the highest paid federal employee. Technically, he's paid more than the president, and he is. He makes more than $400,000 a year from stuff that is directly related to his work. Now, having been exposed to this uh, federal civilian workforce for well over a decade now, I can tell you, you don't rise to that level without being a career bureaucrat. Okay, now, a good manager, a good executive, not even a manager, a good, a good manager might do this. A good executive is not going to be replying to Mildred in Kansas City answering her dumb question, not dumb, asking her, answering her question about COVID. You're going to have to have a whole staff to do that for you. If that email is making it into yep. your inbox, you are a bad executive. And he's the highest paid. Okay, so next, what, what's, what's chilling about this to me is, is the censorship. The censorship so early on, not just based on Fauci, but just, I mean, it's crazy. Like that pandemic video, somebody brought that up. Yeah, and that was one of our first podcasts. Don't call it a pandemic. I actually, when they started taking that down, it was like in real time. I, it was over here, it was like one in the morning. I watched part of it. I tried to look it up again. It was gone. So I tracked it down and actually recorded it. Uh, you know, I have it on my hard drive. I'm going to go back and watch that video. I'm going to go back and watch that video and, and see, okay, what were they saying? What was so dangerous? Because I know even today, you know, there is some stuff that it, that's there that is a little bit of a reach, but I'm going to go back and watch it because, man, Facebook and YouTube, man, they took that down real quick. You know, I see this. It could, you know, these, these emails and this stuff like this, you know, despite what administration is in, I see this a little bit as a victory for the truth, a victory for, you know, critical eyes and, you know, really doing research and thinking for yourself rather than accepting just the narrative. The truth is coming out on this, man. Fauci is not long for this world. They're, I think they're already planning his exit. I really do. I don't think he's going to have a job much longer, not in his current position anyway. You know, I, sometimes I forget who I have conversations with because, you know, up at work, I have a lot of conversations with colleagues. You know, we get bored and we talk about, you know, all these these things. And sometimes I mistake and I think, oh, I talked about that on the podcast when in reality I talked to another colleague about it, you know. And one of the things I mentioned to my colleague was like, I don't know, and this was months ago, I was like, we all agree we think it came from the lab. Occam's razor to me says it comes from the lab in Wuhan. But I don't think we'll ever know that. This is what I said a couple months ago. Because who would it benefit? Who would it benefit for the world to know that this, la this uh, virus originated from a lab in China due to lax security and all this stuff, and they were doing gain-of-function research? It wouldn't benefit anyone. That's what I said. You know, what are we going to do? You know, China, what are we going to hold China accountable for that? And bill them $10 trillion like, uh, like, like Trump said we should do? $10 trillion payment because you're, you, know, you screwed up and let a, let a virus loose and caused the world to shut down? China's not going to stand for that. So I, I was saying, I don't think we're ever going to find out. And now the truth is started to kind of trickle out. And here's where, here's where I do my little, little sachet into, uh, into the globalist stuff, Roger. The Chinese are not happy about this right now. I think the Chinese are starting to see, holy crap, we may be held accountable for this. And uh, the, uh, the Chinese state media, everything, every, all media in China that's, that, that people consume uh, largely is state-owned. 
and uh, the, the one of the biggest uh, Chinese state-owned uh, media editors came out and said, you know, if the world is going to, uh, the world, if the U.S. is going to uh, try to sanction us for this and accuse us of causing this, you know, we need to step up our uh, nuclear weapons production and prep, prepare for a nuclear showdown with the United States. That was like their lead media guy. That came straight from the CCP to him to say that on state media. And that's a warning shot. That's like, hey, you need to back off this, man. Mistakes happen. But I'm telling you, I, I you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's a, you know, is China going to be allowed to keep doing this stuff? Let's say it did come from the lab. They have to be held accountable for this thing coming out. They have to. And the world needs to hold them accountable because they cause a lot of damage. You know, I think, I think Putin's pretty upset, too. I think there's a, there's a, uh, a summit coming up, I think, in two weeks. And I, I think the, the Russians, I'll kick it to Josh after this, the Russians, they're just they're brilliant chess players, man. They're really good. And we're, we're criticizing Russia pretty heavily now for silencing the media, silencing dissent, uh, uh, jailing uh, opposition party leaders like uh, Navalny. He's probably going to die any day now. And we're, we're putting sanctions on them for this. So what does Putin do? Putin comes out and says, yeah, what are you doing to all those people that were in opposition on January 6th? Yeah. Uh, what are you doing about that? You know, seems seems like that's a bit of a opposition crackdown, too. Right now, right or wrong. That's a really good like strategy on his part. It's like, hey, you crack. We crack down on opposition. So do you. You're handing these stiff sentences to these Americans who just voiced their. I mean, it, it's a good chess move. And that's something Biden is going to have to. do. <laughs> I can't wait for that summit. I cannot wait to see how that goes. But uh, so, Josh, uh on the globalist front, you know, what do you think uh, China's response is going to be? Do you think that we're going to pursue this and we're going to try to hold China what, accountable or what are we going to do? Or what? We're not going to hold China accountable. Joe Biden damn sure ain't going to hold China accountable. Hunter Biden's not going to hold, hold China accountable, uh, mainly because he's probably too fucking high right now to realize even what's, you know, what's happening. Uh, but, you know. Uh, like you said, man, Russia is a master at chess. I mean, but you, I mean, you think about how many grandmasters have come out of Russia, like Gary Kasparov. Uh, he's you know one of the one of the latest ones. There's a reason why they've had so many chess grandmasters come out of there because they're they're brilliant strategists, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, but really, but Fauci. So I'm not done with Fauci. Uh, if we're going to title the episode about Fauci, we should probably spend more than two minutes on him. So. You go back to uh, you go back to 13 February. An email uh, from Fauci to Nancy Messonnier. Uh She is with the uh, National Academy of. Uh, I'm sorry, she's with the CDC. The email specifically is about in a group from the U.S. government who will be convened by the National Academy Academy of Sciences specifically to look into the origin of COVID-19. So it goes on about, hey, there's going to be 15 scientists, uh, highly respected scientists, quote, most of, you know, evolutionary biologists who are convened by email conference calls. He says, I've been on two of those calls um, to determine the origin. The last sentence of the email is really telling. And I quote, 
this is not my area of expertise, so I have backed off and leaving it all to Jeremy. I don't know who Jeremy is, right? So Fauci just stated the origin of where this thing originated from and how viruses originate, not my area of expertise. So why would you then turn around and say it's impossible that it came from a virus, uh, you know, a lab? So and then so there's a back and forth. And Fauci sent another email saying, well, I don't know anything about this. Uh, the, you know, these 15 folks who are getting together to study this. That's not my concern right now. So you're not you're. You know, you stated yourself, you're not an expert in the origins of viruses, even though you say you're an infectious disease expert. And then you automatically, once it starts coming out that, hey, this may come out of a Wuhan lab, it's automatically, one, no, that cannot happen. And two, it's not my area of focus right now. That's, that is just, that, there's something there, man. There is something more than these, you know, to these emails, Um there's, there's something else there. I would love to see some people's financial statements because, uh, yeah, I would love to see it. But as far as holding people, holding China accountable, nobody's going to hold China accountable. How are we going to hold China accountable? There's no way. Uh, I think China, I think anybody that tries to hold uh, you know, them accountable is going to uh, is gonna get the business. That you know, you go back. The only way we get hold China accountable, I'll say, is if Russia was on board as well. And I don't see that. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening at all, right? Because Russia's going to look at it, and you know, at the end of the day, Russia's not going to be our friend, even against China. Uh, they may not be China's friend for you know for a little while or over a certain issue, but that doesn't mean they're automatically going to be be ours. Now. We're not, we're not going to hold China accountable. Nobody is. Nothing's going to be done about this. It's just going to be, oh, well, you know, some dude ate a bat and, you know, these things, these things happen. So I don't know. I don't have, I don't have any, I don't have anything else to say on the, you know, on, on that one. Maybe Roger knows if China, we're going to hold China accountable, Roger. No, of course not. And I would say nobody was going to, because I do think, I, I honestly believe with the last administration, I think they were making headway with China. I think they were making headway with Russia. I think you look at what was going on in the Middle East, uh, but you have to, you know, you hear it all the time, right? You have to negotiate from a position of strength. And what's very, very clear to me, even though the left just, you know, praises the guy, our foreign policy seems to be a little weak and you're starting to detect trends, Right. You're, you're, you're seeing it uh, with China saying, hey, what are you going to do about it? We're going straight to nukes because that's that's a Trump play. That's a Trump play. Trump is it was one of the ones that, hey, I'm throwing out the extreme and everything like, what? Oh, no. and then he gets something kind of three quarters where he really wanted. Right. So, you know, that, that is a total Trump move. And, you know, we're going to back off. Uh, it's the same thing with with Russia. I mean, when you look at what's going on with Russia. Uh, with the meeting that's coming up. But then you also look at the cyber hacks that have gone on, right? So you had, you know, first you had Colonial, now you've got uh, JBS, the, the meatpacking plant. You know, it's very clear who's doing this. And they're going to, yeah, solar wind. So, I mean, you know, it's very clear who's doing this and they're going to continue to do it because they're going to say, hey, what are you going to do about it? Because you know what? Here's the thing. Remember, Putin was still around. They took Crimea. 
that happened. I, I know we've said that several times here, uh, you know, on this episode, but I don't think people found out that they, they literally annexed part of another country. Just took it. Said, eh, you know, it's a bunch of Russians living there anyway. Might as well be Russia. And they knew who was in office, even though he was, you know, the vice president or whatever. But they understand the mentality of, of Sleepy Joe. Uh, and you know what? It's just like with any other country out there. They're going to continue to push buttons to see how far they can push you. Uh, and at least with Trump, and I think, you know, the reason I liked him, uh, for the most part, and I'm like Luke, I didn't agree with everything he said, and I didn't agree with everything he did. I think there probably could have been some more attacked here and there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the dude stood up for himself. The dude stood up for us. It's like, you know what? I'm going to punch you in the face. And, and, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit, and I was younger at the time, but it kind of reminded me a little bit about the Reagan years where, you know, the bombing will commence. And, you know, everybody knew that guy was kind of joking, but it's like, wait a minute, was he joking? You know what I mean? It's like, it kind of, eh, he's crazy enough that that dude might just do this. And I think at what you look at, you know, I got it, orange man, bad and, you know, bad tan and whatever. But when you look at his actual policies and, uh, you know, what he accomplished, uh, and not just with Russia and China, but also look at what, you know, the Middle East, right? With what's, and I know this is a whole lot of like globalist stuff that we're all trying to wrap into one neat little package here. But when you look at what's going on with Iran, I mean, I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind that Israel's doing that, right? I mean, there's no question. Um, when you look at what's happened with Israel and the Gaza Strip and the Palestinians and, and Hamas and this and that, I mean, you notice the accords, you know, last I heard, uh, they're still in place. I mean, even the Muslim community is still standing by. Uh, but I tell you, I think there's a lot of wait and see. It's a lot of, uh, hey, what's the U.S. going to do? And in my opinion, what I hope, I hope Biden does come from a position of strength. Like, hey, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do this or I'm going to throw sanctions on your ass. Right. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can do there. And I, I think when you look at China and you look at Russia, I mean, it, it's two, two do- totally different ball games because with, you know, Russia and Putin, I think, you know, you're looking at a guy who's trying to stay in power. Uh, you know, he's, he, he could be losing some steam. Um, you know, China's looking at the Ford, you know, the next hundred years, you look at Israel with Netanyahu, that looks like he's going to be ousted here pretty soon, which is probably why you've seen, uh, the whole Iran thing happen, uh, over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, going back to our own foreign policy, I mean, one, it kind of makes me wonder what our foreign policy is. Cause I just, I mean, everybody's worried about what Joe, what kind of ice cream Joe's eating. You know, it goes back to the NPR article, like of all the things in Fauci's emails, that's the five things. Those are the five things that you bring up. Of all the things that you can ask the president of the United States, you're going to ask him what kind of ice cream he got? I mean, dude, it's a, it's a joke. I mean, it's a total joke. So, you know, I guess for, uh, you know, my last piece on it, it's a, um, there's a long way to go. I think you're going to see a lot more tests. Uh, you're going to see a lot more testing from uh, Russia. You're going to see a lot more testing. And I mean, testing as in pushback, right? Uh, and I would tell you this, here's what's scary before I, I kick it back to you, Luke. Here's what's scary about the Russia thing. The fact that we have not publicly taken actions, and I know there's things that happens behind the scene, but with Russia doing this and really no retaliation, it's not going to be long before other states start to do this. Okay. Hey, Russia got away with it. Right. So it's not going to be long before, because what they're doing is they're making this the norm. It's no longer going to be asymmetric warfare. Okay. This is going to be the norm. And then what's going to happen is now you're going to have all these other, you know, former Soviet bloc states and, you know, European states that, 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 be, that do this as well. I mean, this is going to be a global issue. Guarantee it unless we stomp on the neck. So that's all I got to say about that, Luke. What about you?
Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, it, 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 there, there isn't a lot of transparency. Number one, and I understand why. There, I guess there's there hasn't been a lot of transparency on what these organizations are and who's running them that are, you know, uh, either giving the code to an outside actor to attack the pipeline or JBS meat processing. But like I said, there's not a lot of transparency on that. Is that directly linked to uh, Russian, you know, the state, you know, government? I don't know, man. I see it. Maybe. No, no, no. Maybe not, I'll say. But, you know, I've done quite a bit of reading about Russia over the over the years, and I'd say it's something similar to the Wagner group. You know, I, I, I think it's it's real close flirting with state sponsored. I know there are a lot of cackers out there, whatever, that want to make a lot of money, but what they're attacking right now is is infrastructure, man. A pipeline, meat processing. I think of the, the the biggest meat processor in the United States, JBS. You know, the DOJ. You know, we we try to try to be balanced here. I mean, the DOJ uh, just designated. I think they did this today or yesterday. They they changed how they investigate. Uh, cyber attacks on private uh, entities, and they changed it to to use the same investigative and prosecutorial methods as they do with terrorism. So it's like, okay, 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 now we're stepping it up. But that's the DOJ coming out and and doing that. It's not the president coming out and saying, hey, this is a serious issue. This is twice in a month. We're going to get to the bottom of this, and man, when we find out who it is, all options are on the table. That's what I want to hear. Because, man, I, I know, you know, if you live over in Queen Creek, Arizona or Apache Junction, you know, that that pipeline might not have affected you. You know, if, if you eat uh, vegetables and no meat, you know, for, you know, six days a week, you know, the fact that they shut down a plant doesn't affect you. But, you know, it does affect a good portion. I'm, I'm bragging on on Roger right now. But it does affect a good portion of Americans and is attack on our on our infrastructure. Man, I'll tell you, uh a lot more to say. I mean, I, I, I definitely think that your Roger is 100% or being tested. I don't think we're the only ones being tested. I mean, uh, Iran's being tested right now. Uh, somebody just sunk <laughs> the biggest ship in their Navy to the bottom of the Gulf of Oman. You know, they're not happy. You know, big oil refinery fire. It's like, you know, they're not just going to sit by and be like, ah, you know, stuff happens. I guess that was just a mistake. I mean, it's it. We're laughing about it, you know, but they're going to be they're pissed. You know, somebody is is getting a business. There are twenty four seven meetings at their you know at their highest ministries right now. Uh, I think that we're going to continue to be tested real quick and kick it to Josh and go around one last time. But there's a thing called, uh, there's a uh, foreign policy uh, and historical precedent called Thucydides' Trap. And it's happened eight times through recorded history, where you get a rising power, uh, who, an, an empire, who's been around and been controlling the known world for a long time. And then there's another rising power that comes up and gets right equal with the current power. And in, in eight cases throughout recorded history when that has happened, because it doesn't happen often, but when it does, there is war. It just, it's, it's, it just happens because the existing empire does not want to give over their hegemony to the up-and-comer. There's going to be a fight. The two biggest kids on the block are going to fight. 
Will China be held accountable knowingly? No, I agree with you guys. They won't be held to account by any administration. Uh, But I do believe that there is a conflict coming, uh, specifically with China. And I'm not saying that's next year. I'm, I'm talking like 10, 20 years from now. But it's coming. It's coming. If the Chinese play it right, they won't have to. But we'll just see what happens, you know? Well, right now, the Chinese are playing it right, and they're going to beat us in, without firing a single shot. Um, you know, and for, for the naysayers out there that say, you know, people people think, well, war, you know, well, we're good because we're, you know, two major oceans on each side, and Canada and Mexico, you know, they're they're good. They're, they're not going to do anything. And, you know, people expect that it's going to be a— Chinese aircraft carrier parked in San Francisco Bay and you know there's gonna be a lot of kinetic you know strikes but it's not gonna be like that at all they're gonna they're gonna beat us before before they fire a shot and you know you go back to that Enoch Enoch Powell quote you know history is littered with wars which everybody knew would not happen you know and so people were like oh it's never gonna happen it's not gonna happen it's it's going to you know just go back over uh, just go back over history you know as far as you know, the response and stuff. So we talked about, you know, what would Biden do? Well, back in December, uh, on December 20th, Ron, Ron Klain came out and said that Biden is the response to, you know, all the hacks and stuff. And obviously this, you know, before the inauguration, that his response would, quote, go beyond just sanctions. Okay. So is this, is this going to be like Obama's red line in Syria? Hey, they're chemical weapons. That's a red line. Don't you dare use them or we're going to scuff you up. Oh, hey, they just use a bunch of chemical weapons on their own people. All right. Don't do it again. Is that, <laughs> you know, is that going to be the response or what? Because, you know, you've already you've already thrown it out there that it's going to go beyond just sanctions. So, hey, man, it happened again. So what are you what are you going to do about it? Uh, which I'm going to guess is nothing, but yeah, you go back and you, you look at colonial, you look at GBS meets and stuff like that. Um, Luke, I got a question for you. Do you think that this, you know, the, that the hacks, the, and then COVID later on top of that, do you think that could be some kind of dry run? <laughs> well, it sure, it certainly would make a interesting fiction. I'll tell you that. I mean, it, it, it it yeah it would it would make a it would make a really good story you know to to think that there are you know a, a room full of global elites you know when a virus breaks out in China it's like hey you know maybe we could just let this go you know and you got media you know uh, moguls in there and oil it would just let this go and see how the world reacts to an actual reset you know. It would, because because all this stuff, man. I you know I, I started writing on on a blog, and I think I put it on the AJ Todd Facebook page, and you know I got all mad because I only got like two likes, and I was like, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, I wish I wish I wish I would have kept going because all this stuff, you know, if you go into conspiratorial bent on it, it's just right up Alex Jones' alley, man. Alex Jones would love. A dry run book, like all this was planned, and we're just seeing how everyone will react and how easy they are to cow. I don't know, I don't know man. It sounds like it'd be a good. Book. I'd buy it. What about you, Roger? Yeah, I'd buy that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, I think the it's kind of funny because it goes off in the black helicopter land. But I've got this theory that the uh, hey, maybe the coronavirus was actually leaked from the China lab. 
So we'll Dude. have to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later. But I'm telling you, man, I, I've got some I've got some uh, theories on this thing. So we'll have to cover that in another episode. But uh, let's go around the horn one last time. I guess for myself, um, Twitter or Luke, it looks like you might be right. You know, when you talked about, I know you were saying Facebook, but I think you were pretty much talking about Facebook and Twitter in general. Uh, so Twitter just launched their paid service, right? So now there are some functions that, you know, like delete a tweet or recall, whatever the heck it is. Um, if you pay, and I don't, even, I don't even know what the amount is. I mean, I can't imagine it's more than a couple dollars a month or whatever, but I do believe that with the initiation of that type of paid service, I think that might be the downfall for Twitter. When you look at what's going on, what's been going on with Facebook, and now they banned Trump for another two years, whatever the hell it is. Here's what's killing me. Here's what I want. Corporate America, man, where are you at? I mean, the public is dying for an alternative, right? They are dying for an alternative. And it's, uh, this is like, you know, you, you talk about one of these strengths, uh, you know, uh, and advantages of, of capitalism. I mean, this is it. This is it. That, you know, somebody creates something to, to fill that void, to fill that need. And, you know, uh, MySpace had it. And then, you know, Facebook came in and took over from then. And, and, you know, the Twitter was there. And then you IG came in. And now, you know, now it's Snapchat. So it's like, I'm, it seems like we've had this gap for a uh, couple of years now where it's just like, eh, nobody's coming in to, to take those reins, man. So, I, you know, I just challenge corporate America out there. I mean, I know I can't do any better myself, but there, there's some smart folks out there. I mean, I, I think I'm just, I'm waiting for the next platform to come up because I do think that if something is is half-ass decent and not so politically charged, because I do believe that was part of the problem with Parler is it was too much of an echo chamber. Even for myself, it's too much of an echo chamber. But uh, something that, you know, comes out like that, that's uh, user-friendly, nice, gooey, and all that other good stuff, uh, you know, I think uh, I think Luke might be right, and Facebook and Twitter in their days uh, might be numbered. And the last thing, uh, looking for some huge uh, steps forward, probably probably greater than the uh, Lance Armstrong step on the moon uh, or leap on the moon, uh, because Kamala Harris is now the voting rights czar. So I'm expecting some some huge, some major, huge, huge advances in, in voting rights uh, in America. But uh, just hey, one one quick thought with that. What they are essentially saying is that if you were a minority, you are incapable of getting to the polls to vote. Just think about that. With that, I'll throw it out the loop. That seems kind of racist. Hey, man, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying, right? You can't get to the polls and you can't have an attorney either. Or Or an accountant. Or an accountant. Yeah. You know, uh, wow, that's that's a big one. And we will definitely, maybe next episode, talk about voting. We will definitely talk about that. You know, yeah, Roger, I think that there's some there's some kid at MIT or Harvard who's 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 more pissed off than we are, but probably for different reasons. At people like Zuckerberg and Dorsey and all this stuff. And this guy's like, man, screw antitrust laws. I'm going at it alone. And this person will figure out a way to get some capital investment and something new will come out. I, I'm convinced of it. But these, these, especially Facebook, Google, YouTube, uh, Google and YouTube are the same thing. But they're so big, man. It, it's going to be tough for that, that kid to, uh, to compete. It, it just is, uh, unfortunately. But hopefully that, that's going to happen now. Uh, I think the three of us have been tracking a, a, a news site, and I'll pass it on to, to, to the audience here. It's called ground.news. Uh, 
Uh, it's it's a really in a, kind of an innovative way uh, to to pass news to people. And what we're always talking about is, well, you know, we get right wing news, left wing news, center news. Well, they've come up with a methodology to show you what you're reading. Like, okay, this topic, you know, Fauci Fauci emails, for instance, they will compile all of the reporting on that. And they'll show you there were this many right wing, there were this many left wing, and there were this many center. And from what I've seen so far, is pretty accurate on where these news sites lean on the on the political scale. So I'll, I'll plug that for them. We get nothing from that, uh, <laughs> obviously, but it's ground.news. Uh, it's, it's good stuff, man. I, I've been using I actually subscribe to it. It's not too much. It's like 24 bucks for a year. Uh, and I've been using it a lot. And I've, I've discovered new news sources I didn't know about before. So I think it's really good. And, you know, I'll, I'll plug our, our website real quick. Uh, and then I'll get to my last thing and give it to Josh. Uh, we are working on the website. And like I said, we're, we're shooting at July. The, the three of us have a lot going on. We're all three busy, but we want to get this right. And it, it's not going to be all the bells and whistles at first. You'll have to, you'll have to hang with us, but we're going to, we're going to have a news section there. We're going to have links to different stuff, you know, and, and hopefully we'll be able to interact with the audience a little bit more instead of, you know, on Facebook. And we're really hoping that, that people will interact with us there and, you know, may, may work on different projects in the future. You know, we're doing our part to, you know, it's not just a hobby for us. I, you know, even the 11 people out there, we're really glad you listen. I think we're all like-minded. We may not agree on everything, but what we're doing is creating a small culture, not a tribe, but we're, we're creating culture and that's what we need. Uh, for too long, we, we haven't been doing that. Those of us who are, have a kind of conservative libertarian bent, we've just kind of gone along with the culture and we haven't created our own. So the last thing I'm going to say is I've been seeing all these articles about eating bugs, you know, the 17 year cicada thing. And it's like, why are all these articles coming out? Like the FDA, FDA, according to the Hill, FDA advises those with seafood allergies not to eat cicadas. And this one, uh, it's not coming up now. Oh, Virginia restaurant plans to serve Asian cicadas now instead of the local variety. What the hell is going on? What did you guys do to my country in the four years I've been gone where it's like, now we're eating bugs? Welcome back. I, well, I, I, God. <laughs> okay, I'm not eating bugs, man. I've eaten bugs before. Not for, not out, out of necessity but or because I had to. But I'm not eating bugs, man. Cicadas? Those things are gross, man. They're never once. When I was growing up, we had cicadas everywhere where I was growing up. We would, we, would, we would take these cicadas, we'd take them off trees, we'd put them in like a, a paper bag, and we'd get as many as we could in there. And we'd go into our garage, put the garage door down with no cars, because our parents were off at work during the summers. And we'd let the cicadas out, flying all over, and we'd get racquetball rackets <laughs> and just whack. We did some crazy stuff with cicadas. But one thing we did not do was eat them. It never entered our minds. It's like, what is going on? It's just crazy. So, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. I'll kick it to Josh uh, for his uh, sage words of wisdom to uh, get you through to the next episode. <laughs> so you didn't beat puppies. Uh, you, you hit cicadas with racquetballs. No, okay. only insects. Only insects. No, now we're tracking. Um, hey, everybody, share our social media onto your social media um, if you're not scared. If you're scared, then okay, just say you're scared. But you know, at the end of the day, you can't be silent any longer. If you're worried about what other people think, 
I'm going to need you to grow up and I'm going to need you to, to, to be a man. All right. So share our shit. Stop telling people, you know, stop saying, well, you know, I share. Or a woman or, a woman or a woman, whatever. Um, or one of the 73 other genders that they say are out there. Stop being scared. Share our stuff. Um, and, uh, and that's all I got. So, oh, I do have one question for Roger. Hey, when, uh, when Lance Armstrong walked on the moon, did he take his bike with him? Neil Armstrong. Or, or what? Good call out. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I had to you know man. what? I, I, you I know. was sitting here going through my notes like from earlier episodes, and I had the Lance Armstrong uh, thing when we talked about that documentary, and that was in my head, but good call out. Yeah. I didn't, you know, know, Chris, I didn't know if he was You like, know, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chris probably like. You know, when, when Roger said that, Chris was like. It just he just stood up out of his chair. Yeah, you know. No, because Chris doesn't listen to this. I would I would wonder if uh, I was, f you, Chris. I wonder <laughs> if I wonder if Lance was doping on the uh, on the ride up up to the moon. I don't know. Um, so there you go. That's all I got, folks. All right. Well, hey, that's it uh, for another episode of Culper's Canteen Cup. Thanks to Carlton Zeus. You heard his music at the very beginning. Uh, Again, you know, can't thank you enough for allowing us to use that uh, for our interest. So go check them out on Apple Music or at www.carltonzeus.com. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your canteen cups tightly secured.